Welcome to another Club Insights podcast. I'm seated opposite Mr. Noel Fessy, who's the CEO of European Fund Administration. Now, he's no stranger to managing big organisation, thus an ideal person to ask about what is leadership. Noel, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Now, leadership is often a reflection of the personality of the leader, but how can managers really assess their own strengths and weaknesses? Well, I think this is going to be a very personal view or a personal response from me, and 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 this. May, may or may not work for other people but for me what's really important is to make time for quiet reflection I think this is this is in a sense an introspective process and and I start with an individual reflection some form of examine where you look at what you've done um, in the day what was good what was not so good and what needs improvement uh, and that's the starting point for me in, in in reviewing my leadership but then I think it's really helpful um, to find some shared reflection so get some feedback back from a trusted colleague and that is a shared dialogue that is a um a, a discussion with open questions feedback exploring issues and and i think it's also important perhaps beyond that to, to find some diversity of opinion so so don't 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 rely upon your own judgment or, or even your most trusted colleague you know when working with colleagues do seek different opinions and perspectives and be really wary of feedback that appears to mirror what you want or what people think you want yeah i was going to say uh you have you have to be quite confident and actually the colleague has to be confident in order to criticize yeah that's what and that's where the trust comes in and, and and if that trust is deep and you know people really well then then you can have that sometimes really quite intimate conversation that says did i get this right are we going in the right direction with this now frequently new leaders bring with them new ideas uh what advice do you have to other leaders in trying to convince the wider staff team that change will be beneficial? And th- this is this is something I very much lived in um, in my first four years at, at IFA, and. And I start with the idea that change is inevitable. Um, and if you just look at the trends in our industry, so so we go back over the last 15, even 20 years, um, we've seen the, the active passive war um, in, in which um, managers have been put under huge pressure for margin and for flow. And arguably at the moment, passive managers are winning that flow battle. Um, that's driven active managers into private assets. Um, they've been filling um, the gap left by banks um, following the great financial crisis. And then banks, investment services companies, corporate services companies have been diversifying, um, looking for growth on on any ground that they can find, including everybody else's ground. Um, and we've seen um, investor services and tech companies converging, and you saw State Street, for example, purchasing Charles River. And then you've got private equity fueling um, a, a really remarkable M&A um, dash for scale and coverage. And that's all changed. And that, that rate of change um, has accelerated over the last five years in particular. And, and here's the key point. If you want change to be beneficial, you must act to shape it. Because if you do nothing, the change will shape you and not to your liking. And, and I think that's that's the key appeal. But And here's, here's the insight that doesn't land. Pe- people, you know, s- some people engage with that and, and many people don't. And I think the reason that some people don't is that is that people are homeostatic. In other words, they, they don't like 
change. And and for me, one of the um, one of the the sort of inspirational moments is when talking to somebody back to sort of getting feedback on leadership, talking to someone external for the firm, and I was sharing with them, um, you know, my 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 dialogue with colleagues um, to syndicate and and win support for the idea that, that the firm needs to develop and change. And she said something really simple to me: she "said Stop talking about change. People don't like change." In a sense, change your dialogue. Start talking about destinations, talk about objectives, talk about goals, talk about winning, um, talk about benefits. But if you talk about change, then what you'll do is create inside people a mindset that, that, that what they've got today is going somehow to be abandoned and they don't know what's going to replace it. And that's not a great place to start. So you're saying that the staff team needs that confidence somehow in order to change. They have to feel secure, don't they? I think so. They've got to feel that that, um, that there's, a, there's a win available or that there's a benefit. And I think this is a large part of this depends on how you frame things. And framing, I think, in leadership and, and, and management, but the two are different but, but related. Framing is really important. And, and if you frame things poorly from the beginning, you'll find that, that, that you introduce inadvertently um, a negative bias to your discussion with your colleagues. And, and so let, let me give you an example. Inside IFA, we talk about um, adversity hero type mindsets. So, so you, can, you can see um, sometimes managers who want to express um, a very constructive um, approach to, to a particular issue and they start talking about challenge. And this is, you know, this is going to be a great challenge, but we can do it. And, and, and what that does is it fixes people to think about the, the challenge itself, the adversity, and and they, they don't get to the hero point. And in any case, the, the hero point is is rather worrying. Think about it as a rugby team. You know, you, if, you, if you're going to send a rugby team onto a pitch, it's the Six Nations at the moment. Um, the, the coach is 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 not going to spend a great deal of effort telling people how hard this game is going to be. He's going to be spending time um, encouraging um, the team to believe in success and and the routes, the mechanisms, um, the techniques that they're going to employ in order to achieve that success they're looking for the confidence building upside dialogue so framing is really important is it good to talk about competition in the market i think so and i think that's really helpful particularly um when when you know how how um, internal dynamics inside any company and, and this has been true of any organization of which i've been a member and i've been a, a member of a few is that you sometimes find competition emerging internally and, and it's helpful sometimes to remind colleagues that the competition is out there not in here, so so we we do that, but 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 I think also you know, this this framing discussion, we, we prefer to talk about opportunity, um, and to talk about our ability to master it, and then to develop that conversation into collaboration and teamwork. What do we have to do together to put that team together that's going to get out there and compete in the external market? But that sounds all very nice, but isn't it true that in every organisation there there's often power? There's like there's often uh, an official power structure and then even sometimes an unofficial power structure. How can you ensure that the creative members of your wider team have the freedom to express themselves? There is power. I mean, every organisation and, 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 and I think the, the form of power that most people would immediately recognise would be positional power. So, for example, I'm a, I'm a CEO. Um, therefore, I, I can wield enormous power simply by, um, by virtue of the post that I hold. And this, this idea of tenure um, that, um, is, is important to that. I think positional power is the weakest form of power. And, and I think um, other forms of power, um, including... 
um, uh, for example, expert power, the, 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 the companies that you're powerful inside a company because of what you know, um, because of, of what you can do, um, of your ability to syndicate ideas and bind people into a vision. That's far more important. And, and I think, um, you know, when it comes to, to the creative people in the firm, well, I think everybody in every firm um, has the ability to be creative. I, do, I don't think there's a special subset of companies that, that where, where, you know, we talk about talent inside companies. And uh, sometimes to my ear, that, that tends to be rather selective, sometimes exclusive. And, and actually, I, th I, I believe in the talent of the whole firm. And, and I think everybody in the company wants to contribute. Everybody wants to be valued. Everybody wants to belong. Everybody wants to feel satisfied. And, and how we bring that, that, that potential, that desire into being an EFA is, is that we talk about agency. And we talk about, about what can you be, what can you do. And we define this, this, this in, in six ways. You know, agency for us is first, the capacity to make a difference. And that's about efficacy. Can you, can you do it? Can you have an effect? Second, it needs to be of your own free will. You must bring yourself to the company and want to contribute. And, and the more that, that you bring free will, well, it, it's, it's, it's an absolute, it's a necessity. Um, then, then you can exercise agency because you want to. Secondly, thirdly, sorry, you, you need to regulate yourself. You, you know, this must take place. We all have emotional ups and downs. Um, so you've, you've got to be able to control yourself in order to contribute effectively in, in all circumstances. Fourthly, with belief, you have to believe that you can do it. You have to believe that you can be successful and belief it becomes a reinforcing mechanism. The more that you believe that you're permitted and that you're able um, to have agency, to have an effect, to help change and make a difference in the company, the more that that, that becomes your reality. And it, and it has to happen fifthly within the framework of the company because we're a company. It's not, we can't have individual expression um, in a way which which is, is completely divorced from, from the goals of the company and the reality um, of where we are and what we're trying to do. And finally, sixthly, it, it needs to be in collaboration with colleagues. And that, that in terms of agency is an individual thing, but it works inside the collective, if you like. Intriguing. Of course, I can't help but think about my own company and thinking about, I'm trying to apply this to my own situation, which is intriguing. Um, now, I know that you've managed different teams and organizations. What, what three pieces of advice would you give to firms that have to balance working in a regulated environment such as yours whilst trying to provide innovative solutions to clients? I, I think I can't imagine almost every company is regulated in some way and, and even beyond financial services, of course. But, but I think there are, there are I've got th three key ideas. And, and the first one um, is leadership and agency. The second one is trust. And the third one is about ambiguity, which I think is a favorite topic of mine. So let, let's take a look at leadership first. I think, I think leadership and management are very different things. So they're complementary but definitely different and don't try to manage when you should be leading. And for me, and this, this to some degree reflects my cultural background, um, leadership is a service thing or servant leadership in a sense. Leadership is about enabling your colleagues to be the best that they can be in the interests of the company and its clients and its other key stakeholders. So, so if you're not somehow serving colleagues as a leader, you're not really leading for me. And I, and I do think servant leadership isn't somehow some form of subordinate concept. Servant leadership is perfectly suited to strong, 
strong, confident, incisive action. You can be um, a um, an incisive individual um, and a servant leader at the same time. And and in the context of of regulation and leadership, I think I think regulation is really important. And IFA is a regulated financial services company, and compliance is absolutely obligatory, no question. But regulation and agency, this idea of people coming and bringing themselves to make a difference, I think are perfectly compatible. And I think the agency, the, the power of the individual and, and the individual's discretion um, to, to apply their own judgment serves compliance far better than attempting to define processes or prescribing them to the nth degree of detail and saying, this is what you must do and only this. And if you step outside of these bounds, you're somehow going wrong because th- that's completely inflexible. So, f- so first point, leadership. Second point, trust. And I think this is about justifiable, fundamental, mutual trust, because trust is a performance multiplier. Only if it's fundamental, only if it's real. Trust is not a transactional engagement. If you do this for me, I will do that for you. Trust is really about um, allowing colleagues to do things for you. Trust is about sharing. In a sense, um, it's a bit about giving things up to others so that they can give back to you. And and here, and I've got a very particular personal experience where in, in, in my previous company, my, my boss, my poor boss, um, he had a, a high-performing senior management team of which I was one we were distributed around the world and for years this poor man tried to get us to trust one another fundamentally and we were trusting each other rather transactionally because we're all high performance we all want to do the best we all want to show what we can do and we're not really giving up to others to our colleagues what we should be giving up and, and there was a, a point in, in the development of the team, and after it was after some years, um, where we, I, and I still don't, can't quite put my finger on what changed, and it, it was at an offsite. There was some qualitative change in the, in the nature of the engagement, and we came away a different team, where we we suddenly started giving up to others in a in a really remarkable way, things that we previously had jealously guarded for ourselves and our own teams, and the result was that team took off. It became incredibly more powerful than it had been before and it was already high performing so so trust fundamental justifiable mutual trust now can i just challenge you on that one second because i suspect that distrust is more infectious than trust because if you've got one person who's not at all trusting and keeps everything i I can imagine that people might begin to mimic his or her behavior let me feed it back to you another way and I, i i agree with you to a point humans are tribal people are tribal and and tribes mean um, establishing identities of self and, and establishing identities of others. And and others are um, inherently, in a sense, foreign and not to be trusted. And, and I think we're getting deep into human psychology there. But that's what people do. And they do that within companies and they do that between companies and they do that between nations. And, and it happens um, even between high-performing teams within companies because we like to possess, because possession means control. Um, and giving up means not control unless you trust. So does the leader of the team have to model that behaviour? Well, my previous boss, um, a a, a wonderful chap um, and most patient and supportive, um, had to put a lot of effort into persuading us um, simply to take that step. 
and, and give up because you know give up the, the language itself is 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 in a sense expressive it speaks of loss it speaks of loss of control um loss of prestige um loss of agency even as a team and and yet and this is in a sense the paradox only when you start to do that when you're working because you know no one individual can do it all and in a sense no one team can do it all you know the, the more responsibilities and the bigger the team becomes to address a particular mission well the, the more you're going to have to start subdividing and you create new teams and teams within teams and you get the same issue it's almost almost like a fractal it repeats and it repeats and and the solution and the way out of this to high performing companies even as they grow no matter what size is you have to trust now i'm sure we've got one or two people again even within my own company who would say uh this should be process driven you should just write a process uh and this is how the company should run and we do have processes of course we do and and the you know, processes in a sense are um well they're, they're necessary because you're, for example in IFA we've got 420 people we're trying to to harness the ability and the power of 400 well, we're going to need some ground rules um for what we do we also know that the regulator the regulator will send you a letter saying show me the process by which you did this that or the other and and it's you need it but but i think it's a mistake to um, to believe that a company of a collection of people is the same as a computer program, you, you, you can't you can't program companies in quite that way. You can define procedures, you can set down policies, um, but it then doesn't run um, without um, without some form of discretion, some form of decision making, some form of judgment, and that involves people. And that you come back to the point about agency then. These things rapidly go off the rails if you treat your people like automata. They're not robots. Don't do it. Give them the agency. And the thing that drives it off the rails, I think, is is the last point. You asked for these three points on on um, leading companies in regulated environments. And the third, the third key point I'd give to people. So we had leadership, we had trust. The last one is ambiguity. You can't be certain. You can define your um, your procedures um, as as in as much detail as you like. You can make them as prescriptive as you like. You can drill your people to follow them on pain of punishment if you like i wouldn't advise it um and as soon as an ambiguous situation arises you'll find yourself um with something which you have not foreseen and and if you've told people that they can't exercise agency without reference to you the technical decision maker then you'll find that the company stalls very quickly um and 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 it starts to go wrong and and so so for me ambiguity accepting that it exists can offer an advantage because it means that you end up with a creative company, a resilient company, a company that can respond to things you didn't foresee. And I, and I think I think you know, financial markets, for example, and, and, and even an operating business, and, and, and IFA is, is fundamentally um, a, a high-capacity, high-volume, high-integrity operations business, events happen. Um, computer systems fail for non-deterministic reasons. No matter how good your IT team is, markets dysfunction. Um, and so when that ambiguity comes in, you need to be ready to deal with it. And, and that's why we introduce... Um, agency and it and it 
it, it kind of it, it's also on depends on modes of leadership you know you get some people who are really comfortable with highly definitional highly precise technical leadership you know every problem has a perfect solution if only you knew you knew all the facts and the issue is that the really interesting problems um, can't be defined um, with perfect facts and so they require human judgment and we're, we're back to agency again which is right at the heart of of, of how we like to lead the firm now, conversations about empowering staff have, of course, been around for a while. I mean, I remember looking at management guru books even 20 years ago. Um, however, often nowadays when staff are asked why they leave their roles, they frequently mention the frustrations of being micromanaged. Why is it that managers in 2022 have not yet learned this? I'm not sure that, that all managers... I think there are many managers out there who are, or leaders, let me put it that way, who are who are, are really excellent and understand how to lead and manage well. But micromanagement, I think, is neither leadership nor effective management. I think it's a form of dysfunction. I think it's the antithesis of trust. I think it's the repudiation of human potential. I think it extinguishes agency and it alienates people. And so it's no surprise that people will leave. And, and you, you, know, you often see on LinkedIn, for example, you know, People leave managers, not companies. Um, so, so I think um, I, I think the role of a leader is to create conditions in which people can thrive. Um, and if you find micromanagement as a leader um, within a firm, well, first don't let it in, and and drive it out wherever you find it. Noel, that was really interesting in terms of insights. Total, I think we could probably talk about this all day. We could go on all day, but I don't think we have all day. Uh, no, we don't. I'm going to do a pause there. But that was Noel. Fessy, CEO of European Fund Administration. Thank you. My pleasure. 